As Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe prepares to invoke the Charter's notwithstanding clause to preserve an education policy which would require parental consent for children under 16 to change their gender and pronouns at school, parents are speaking out and backing Moe. Hockey Canada has introduced a new policy for the 2023-24 minor league season and onward, citing gender identity and inclusion concerns. As the inflation crisis worsens, Canadians are putting their grocery bill ahead of their nutrition, according to a new survey. Hello Canada is Friday, October 6th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm William McBeth. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Saskatchewan parents are backing Premier Scott Moe's education policy requiring parental consent for children under 16 to change their gender and pronouns at school. The support comes as Moe is preparing to invoke the Charter's notwithstanding clause to preserve the policy after a judge granted trans activists an injunction pausing it. A Saskatoon father of two whose kids attend public schools told True North he believes, quote, Children are not able to comprehend these complex topics at their age and yet are being inundated by sexual influences entirely too early in their development. The father who asked not to be named said his sons were exposed to wokeism and gender ideology at their elementary schools and he felt sidelined when he tried to voice his concerns to the principal. He said, quote, My job as a parent is to protect my boys' development and be the arbiter of what they are learning and when. This policy confirms that parents are informed if their child is going through developmental changes. Meanwhile, Nadine Ness, a mother of four and a parental rights advocate who leads the group United Grassroots, told True North parents are cheering the policy on. She believes Canadian public schools are currently, quote, normalizing keeping secrets from parents and normalizing teachers having interpersonal relationships with children that they shouldn't have. Ness also praised Mo for pledging to use the notwithstanding clause to safeguard the policy. A recent Angus Raid poll found that 86% of Saskatchewan residents believe parents should be informed if their child wishes to change names or pronouns at school. Support is also high in the rest of Canada. Meanwhile, just 10% of Saskatchewan residents said they disagreed with schools being mandated to inform parents of children's name and pronoun changes. One thing I would like to know, William, is how much of this divide, you know, that 10% and the 80-something percent, how much of that is actually people who don't have kids who support this policy? Well, I think it's a very interesting question when it comes to whether or not parents should be informed of uh, important things going on in their own kids' lives. I, I would say overwhelmingly people want children to feel safe. They want them to live in a supportive environment. They want to make sure they've got uh, everything they need to be successful. I think where the real divide here is 
is there are a group of people who genuinely believe parents are do not have their children's best interests at heart. And in a very small number of cases, that, that might be the case. But I think overall, most people believe that parents love their children and they want to help their children and they want to do everything they can to support them, to protect them. So having a policy rooted on the ideology that parents are the enemy rather than the, the champions and defenders of children is, is wrong-headed to a lot of people. And I think that's why you see such a large number of people opposed to a policy where parents are being kept in the dark. Right, absolutely. And it does seem that the supporters of, you know, uh, gender ideology and, and, and some of these policies staying in place have sort of back themselves into a corner. And some of the things they're saying, you know, we reported on a story about a, I think it was a trustee or, or, or uh, an educator who said that parents in Canada, you know, technically don't have parental rights. And that leaves a bad taste in the mouth of many. Uh, do you think this argument holds up at the end of the day? Because we see this court ruling, you know, in favor of keeping the policy of, you know, hiding pronouns from people's, uh, from the parents. And we see Scott Moe having to resort to the notwithstanding act. So truly, is there parental rights in Canada? It's an important question. And I, I you know, the legal cases being fought out over this issue uh, aren't new. There have been times in the past where people have questioned the ability of parents to make decisions for their kids. What what I think we'll see is uh, increasingly inflamed rhetoric around this issue. You're going to see activists saying that this is a decision that's going to literally kill trans kids with uh, parents saying it's actually just the opposite. And it's radical ideology and activists who are putting kids' lives in danger. But Fundamentally, I, I think most people agree that parents are the ones best positioned to take care and make decisions and support their own children. Certainly, you know, when you look at approaches to childcare, we had a federal government who brought in a childcare program where one of the biggest criticisms was parents were precluded from making a lot of the choices for what kinds of care their, their kids would be allowed to get. So this is definitely going to be an issue going forward. At the end of the day, I think most people are going to believe that parents should be the final deciders about what their children uh, get, you know, believe and, and how they're protected and kept safe and, and definitely play an integral role in the lives of their kids. They're not just another lobby group in, in our country. Hockey Canada has introduced a new policy for the 2023-24 minor league season and onward requiring all participants in minor hockey to wear a base layer of clothing while in the dressing room, citing gender identity and inclusion concerns. The policy states, quote, Hockey Canada mandates that every participant has the right to use the dressing room that is most congruent with their gender identity, unquote. However, most minor hockey rinks do not have dressing rooms associated with gender, prompting the minimum attire rule. While minor hockey players are showering, Hockey Canada also recommends that players continue to wear the minimum attire if in an open concept shower. This could include swimwear. Players are encouraged to change from their initial undergarments into their swimwear to shower and then back to their undergarments afterwards. 
The September 12, 2023 revision updated the language regarding the use of showers section from required to recommended. Many dressing rooms used by minor hockey teams have a bathroom with only one stall. Teams have already had a limited allotment of time in dressing rooms before and after their games, forcing each player to take turns in the lone bathroom stall to change from undergarments they wore to the game into their swimwear and back into their undergarments may cause timing issues. Hockey Canada is the national governing body for grassroots hockey in the country. While almost every minor hockey league falls under Hockey Canada's purview, a few private, generally high-level leagues are not governed by Hockey Canada, such as HSL Hockey Super League. The new policy affects all minor hockey teams participating in leagues associated with Hockey Canada from the youngest level up to under 18 age division. So I'll admit it's been quite a long time since I was playing team sports as a student, but to me, this new policy just seems unworkable that there with only one skull, it's impossible for a team to change out of their their base layer, their you know long johns and other garments into swimwear, shower, dry off, change back in the single skull, so one at a time. Coastman, do you think this is a policy that they were creating that maybe had good intentions, but is completely unworkable at the practical level. Right. I I think this policy just goes to show uh, how convoluted things get once, you know, gender identity and inclusion concerns uh, take the reins. You know, I'm a proponent of letting minor uh, hockey league teams decide on their own what works best based on the facilities available to them. So I wonder if this new policy by Hockey Canada is almost like an over-regulation and how much it will confuse things for these, you know, independent teams uh, and coaches because from my understanding, the coaches have to abide by these policies and there could be some consequences if they don't. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things about True North is we have a lot of staff members who have young children and a lot of them enjoy sports. And, and because we're Canadian, many of them enjoy hockey. And in talking with them, they've told me that this is an issue that parents and teams had largely already worked out for themselves. A lot of teams have both boys and girls playing on them. And they've already had to deal with the issue of two genders using one small change room with limited facilities. And they've all made it work and have for many years. So to me, this seems now like a uh, large association who possibly for uh, liability reasons or insurance reasons is now imposing an unworkable solution on to teams right across the country. Right. And, you know, there has been cultural pressure on Hockey Canada. You know, there's been all kinds of claims that, you know, hockey is unsafe for certain uh, identity groups. And I feel like this is, in a sense, a reaction to some of that. They are trying to avoid certain scenarios in the future that could, you know, cause trouble for them. But, you know, I just like to reiterate, like you said, a lot of these coaches and teams have already sorted uh, these issues out and have an understanding of what their players uh, need and what they require. And I'm, I, I think just shoving regulation down people's throats isn't really the answer. I think there, there needs to be some uh, decentralized 
independence involved. Canadians are putting their grocery bill ahead of their nutrition, according to a new survey by the consumer data company Cattle and Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab in Halifax. The survey revealed that 45.5% of respondents said the cost of their groceries outweighed the importance of their food's nutritional value in terms of what they are purchasing. While a majority of those same respondents, 63.3%, said that they are aware and concerned about the long-term effects of compromising on healthy choices. When asked if their meat or protein consumption had gone down due to soaring food costs, 49.2% said yes. Respondents in Alberta and New Brunswick were the most likely to put cost over nutrition and Albertans were the most worried about the long-term effects of this decision. At 70%, however, a majority of respondents in every province said they shared that fear. In terms of age groups, the greatest generation ranked the highest for putting cost of nutrition at 55%, with millennials close behind at 53% and Gen Z at 52.5%. Concerns for the compromise on long-term health were most felt by millennials. With the Thanksgiving holiday fast approaching this weekend, Canadians can expect to pay significantly more than they did in the past, as Statistics Canada's latest Consumer Price Index report revealed that the price of most food items increased year over year in August. So this, in many ways, this survey is not surprising. You know, we've seen ourselves when we go to the grocery stores, some of the value items being sold out, whereas, you know, the organic and the uh, higher nutritional sections remain fully in stock. So I think Canadians are really seeing this. And this survey comes at a time when uh, the Trudeau government just announced a series of measures uh, in an attempt to combat some of the high grocery prices. Now, William, I'm sure you heard the major announcement yesterday. Uh, Will this help or should the government just stop spending money and forcing uh, regulation on grocery stores? Well, I, I think you're going to see some very minor fixes, things like price freezing and uh, slower and smaller price increases than maybe were originally planned because of the government law. But but for many people, that will be too little and, and too late. Uh, the, the real problem with rising prices of groceries is complex, but the government, I don't think, is being particularly honest about some of those big root causes. The first one being that our inflation was driven in large part by excessive government spending, by government literally printing money and putting it into the economy that drove higher inflation. People warned about it for years, but the Bank of Canada and the government didn't particularly heed those concerns. A second factor, of course, is the massively increased carbon tax, which has made all parts of the grocery chain more expensive. Transportation, production, storage, and retail sales are all now more expensive because of that carbon tax. So for the government to come in and say, oh, we're, we're, we're hearing Canadian concerns, we're taking action on those, 
without understanding their own contributory role in this process and without making uh, the, any changes to the carbon tax framework, I don't think we're going to see much by way of differences in terms of prices on the shelves. One question on my mind, William, is why are the grocery giants playing along with this? Because the way that the government has framed, you know, collecting all of these different corporations together and hashing out some ways that they could uh, lower prices, it almost seems like the government is blaming grocery giants. So why are they playing along with this? Why don't we see more pushback? Well, it's an interesting question. I think some of them still feel a little burned because a lot, some of them didn't maybe behave in the best possible way. We know that, for example, there was a, a price-fixing scandal on the cost of bread in Canada. So I, I don't know how much goodwill these grocery stores and the CEOs who run them uh, have with, with everyday Canadians right now. Certainly, when you walk into a grocery store and see those very high prices, Canadians are angry and they're looking for someone to blame. And up until now, I'm not sure the grocery store owners have done any work in terms of uh, deflecting that blame. They may feel they don't have enough political credibility to push back. But at the end of the day, it isn't particularly the fault of, of any individual chain. It's the fault of the large and systemic reasons that uh, we've talked a little bit about today that, that are driving it. And certainly for the Liberal government, I think they're very keen to push the blame onto somebody else. And for them, they've decided grocery stores are an easy target when they make profitable profitable decisions. Their CEOs are well paid. And these are very profitable companies. They think, well, here's somebody we can push the blame onto. So definitely think it's more politics than policy going into a lot of these things these days. That's it for today, folks. I hope our listeners have a happy Thanksgiving long weekend. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.